This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Dude, hey, <laughs> whoa, hey, welcome everybody to uh, what do we got here? What the truck after dark with AWS Stratus Grid, man. Yeah, we got some great guests right yeah, here. Yeah, we do. Chris, introduce yourself. I'm Chris Hurst, CEO of Stratus Grid. Hi, uh, this is Manish Kovil from AWS. I lead our supply chain partner segment. Well, thank you guys for coming out here. I know you've come all the way out from uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And thank you all who've attended our first, well, not our first live What the Truck Ever, no. but our first sort of live outside of event situation. This is this is fantastic. You all look incredible. And um, after this show right here, we're going to have Q&A. So stick around. Yeah, stick around for that. This is my first live one, though. Yes. Yeah, because I well, joined right before, uh, right before COVID. So let's jump it in. Well, here we're going to kick things off talking about Prime Day, something you're all very, very familiar with. Now, Prime Day, every time the calendar turns, it sets records. In fact, Manish, correct me if I'm wrong. In the past, this past year in July, you did about $12 billion in sales. Is that correct? Actually shipped over 300 million items over those two days. Wow. We were doing almost 100,000, basically, orders per minute. Like, that's the volume that we're talking about. Now, how do you achieve that volume and how do you achieve that scale for something like Prime Day? I mean, the thought of it for a lot of e-commerce teams that are just trying to, to play catch up. You know, everyone uses like Prime-like logistics, but very few are actually like Amazon Prime and what you can all do. How does AWS enable Prime Day? So actually, it's uh, really uh, mind-boggling how much effort that goes behind it and, and the technology that powers that, right? So AWS actually provides the technology that powers uh, uh, the, the, the prime day, right? And and if you think about it, right, the number that I talked about, 300 million uh, shipments that you do, at any given point of time, there are over 400 million, million items that uh, Amazon has available that people can order, right? So you have 300 million pe basically orders being placed for any one of those, right? So so the amount of compute power that you need is really amazing. And I'll, I'll give you some numbers, I know. Yeah. And, and, and let me break it down Basically, just very basic, right? So if you look at the type of compute that you need, you need servers, you need storage, you need databases, you need a bunch of other things. But if you just look at just those two or three very simple basic components, right? You need tens of thousands of servers, 
right? Yeah. Over those two days, actually, uh, the database transactions that uh, AWS enabled, there were 288 billion transactions that you did, right? If you look at the storage, there were 11 trillion with a T, okay? Transactions that you did, like You're that's big. Prime day, three, three days of Prime just, Day, right? Just but on a, 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 a normal boring, go to the office, drink some coffee and sleep, you know, take a couple naps is 400 million items, right? And just a normal day. And 200,000 robots you're running, and 19,000 trailers, and 30,000 delivery vans on just a, on just a normal day. So then Prime Day, you ramp it up to 100,000 items per minute? Yes. So, so what, what enables that really is the power of cloud technology, right? How you can scale up from basically whatever you're doing on a day-by-day -day basis to almost 10x what you do on a normal day, right? You have to create an architecture which can scale that architecture which is flexible, which is modular, so that each one of those components can take the power of the cloud, the, the capability to basically scale at that level, right? That's what makes it possible. Well, Chris, when you think about Prime Day, right, and you think about what Stratus Grid does, how does it inspire you and your team and seeing where you can fit in? Yeah, it's interesting. So, you know, <laughs> I'm still from the generation where I started doing all the work on-premise. And so it's one of those things where I really thought moving to the cloud, I was going to miss all the hardware, miss all the racking and stacking and all those things. And since actually getting in it, it's been like, wow, look at all these things we've enabled. Like we're going to go spin up and do a sale. One of our customers that we work with, um, really big day for them is Black Friday, right? Yeah, so they need to scale up for Black Friday. I remember what that was like on-premise when you needed to scale up for that, how many servers you needed to get, how, many, mm. how much network equipment, do you have enough bandwidth, do you have all these things? So with AWS, we aren't worried about that with that customer, right? It's like, yeah. we've already tested all the auto-scaling. We know we can spin it up. We know it's going to spin up just automatically because it's all pre-configured and we've tested it. And they're going to pay for it while it's there. And then after Black Friday, it's going to just scale back down and it, it's not going to be a problem. That's really exciting to me when I get to talk to customers about that, especially when they haven't gotten to do that before, because they're used to that large capital investment just for this one day and it's a big deal. And instead it's like, no, you just, you just turn on the clouds. It scales up and we're good to go. Well, you know, the cloud has made it when we as individuals don't really have to think about it, but even think about something like the pandemic happening and remote work and something like Google Docs versus, you know, Microsoft Word, where we used to have the email documents back and forth. Can you imagine how slow that would be with all of us in remote <laughs> situations versus instantly being able to, to edit this? We even worked on this, putting the show together remotely, right? Because the script we could work on and the topic points that we wanted. Now think of that at this massive scale that you're talking about. How much power does that take and how capable is it of some of these other companies that want to grow to Amazon size? Well, I think what is really needed is the mindset, right? That basically you have to build a, an architecture that can scale. And, and the good thing is that you don't really have to invest a lot in doing that. You can experiment, you can actually... Uh, create architecture which can scale up and down. And then as your business is moving, right, you can do that. So I think the architecture becomes very important. The components that you put behind that uh, becomes very important, right? So, so the agility that comes with it, the speed that comes with the power of cloud, how you can really bring new capabilities very quickly, right? Um, and, and, and tweak them. Uh, you, you talk about the pandemic, right? You think about all the different models. Uh, restaurants had to switch overnight from basically serving in store 
to actually yeah. delivering, right? How do you enable that? You basically moved from people coming into your store to buy stuff to basically everybody wanting a delivery or at, at best basically pick up uh, right uh, uh, outside. So you, you have to be able to change the system that you have very quickly. And I think that's what uh, cloud powers. You know, I, when I think of flywheels, right, I think it from a marketing perspective, you make a marketing flywheel. For example, we do a show like this. I cut it up into clips. I turn it into an article. We have audio. We have video. Now, I was reading about something called the Amazon flywheel. What is that concept? Because you can probably say it better than I can. It's, it's very simple. It all starts and ends with the customer, right? You basically give customers choice. If you give customers choice and, and you be, give them a good experience, right, they will basically come to your marketplace. You, you basically satisfy that uh, you have more people who want to come and sell it. So you basically have even more choice for your customers. If you have more choice, you basically, you have the volume growing. You have the volume growing, your per unit cost goes down, right? You have better pricing, which attracts more customers and you have more choice, right? That is the, the fundamental flywheel that we're talking about, right? So basically it's all about serving your customers. Yeah. So, Chris, you talked about we and we talked about Prime Day. We we saw the velocity and the amount of volume that has to go through this, right? And then you talked about Black Friday and some of those things. What are some of the other use cases for it? Yeah, it's really almost any time that you ha you need elasticity, which could be you know large data workload. It could be um, you know we work with a lot of media and entertainment as well, so that's an easy one for people to understand. When that episode drops and everybody wants to watch it right now, mm -hmm. you need to scale up massively for like an hour, but then it scales right back down, right? It's just people are really surprised at the amount of things that it enables that they wouldn't think about that really it's getting driven to a much larger size than could have ever been done before. It almost seems crazy to not be using the cloud to manage, especially warehouses or, or inventory these days. How do you keep track of things, right? Without doing it in, in the modern age. Mm. How many shippers do you reckon aren't using the cloud right now? How many do you think or warehouses aren't using the cloud? They're just, I don't know, using Excel. We are actually in very early stages of cloud adoption, right? There's a tremendous amount of uh, compute infrastructure, which is still on-premises. Yeah. So I think that, that the opportunity that we have in front of us is tremendous, right? And, and I think uh, uh, to basically realize that opportunity, that's, that's part of the reason uh, we're having this conversation, mm -hmm. basically make, make people aware what is out there that they may not have thought about, right? Yeah. That, that basically can help their business in, in a lot of different ways. I think cost is one. The speed of doing business isn't the one. Chris talked about the agility, uh, right? Uh, paying basically only for what you use. They're just different paradigms of both from a commercial construct perspective as well as from an architecture and technology perspective. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, we, we talk, talk about data and, and bringing in data and measuring and, and people utilizing that. They have data just to have data, right? And you, you need to do something with that. What are some of the, 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 the use cases or, or anti-patterns that you see with adopting and going into the cloud? Some of these things, legacy things that they don't, they don't get rid of to help them move forward. Yeah, I see a lot of people trying to segment and protect data in ways that is very data center centric. Mm -hmm. And the way that they want to migrate, aggregate it, not taking advantage of the cloud native technologies that lets them really scale and do something with the data um, and keeping it kind of pent up in traditional ways. That's probably the one of the bigger anti-patterns I see because everybody hears about cloud, hears about all the machine learning use cases and predictive things you can do with it and how you can make better decisions at scale. But I think they underestimate that 
the amount of change it's going to take as a mindset to just get that data in a place where it's all in a usable format and people can actually access it and use it, but maintaining security and how you can do that in a cloud native way, which enables it much more than, you know, an on-premise infrastructure ever allowed you to do. But that's just not adapting those patterns of architecting and building things out to the cloud native pieces. That's probably the biggest anti-pattern I see. Now, Chris, as CEO, you probably hear a lot of excuses from time to time. It's not from your Stratus Grid employees. They all, they all look fantastic. But you bear <laughs> the brunt of that. And one thing we all heard during the pandemic, right, was supply chain ate my homework. Every single company was blaming the supply chain, all the way from the biggest companies due to shipping to, like, I, there was a Barnes & Nobles I saw where it was like, we don't have soap due to supply chain issues. Like, you can't just go next. Like, it's not like soap is gone. You can go and buy soap. That's a bad, that's an example of a bad process or yeah. manager with no power. How much truth is there though, Manish? You, you're right on the front lines of this to the supply chain eating your homework. Are companies telling the truth? Actually, it's fine. It's basically, uh, if it's in print, it must be true, right? Because this this happened, basically there's an article in Wall Street Journal around this. Uh, actually, uh, not just too far back, actually in this first quarter of this year, out of the Fortune 500, 342 companies talked about supply chain challenges in their earnings, right? So, mm -hmm. so it's not about just randomly some people doing it. This is the discussion that is happening at the CXO at the board level, right? So, so there are there are challenges around it, right? But uh, I'm, I'm sure there's this more to it, right? So uh, I, I think uh, the companies that have actually prepared for some of these things over the past few years have basically put in place systems which can cope with that have come out different than uh, companies that did not. Yeah. So, so when you, when you're when you're when you're talking about that and and talking about the partners that you partner with at AWS, how important is that to have them within your ecosystem to develop and grow this? So this, because this goes back to our fundamental belief in in basically enabling our customers, like and giving them choice, right? So we want our customers to be able to find and get the best solution that they need to solve the specific business problem they're solving, right? Right. No one company can solve all business problems, and this is where basically there are capabilities that we provide that our customers you can use to solve, and we have. Basically, our partners, the software partners, the service partners, who have a very specific specialization in that area, which solves a particular customer problem very well, right? So partners play a very important role in helping basically our customers achieve the problem that they're trying to solve. Now, you mentioned that we're in the early innings of this. Um, Chris, what do you think some of the myths are about cloud adoption? What is some of like the pushback you get when you talk to people and they're like, I don't know if we're ready for something like the cloud? Yeah, I think, funny enough, security is one of the biggest ones yeah, that right. I hear a lot. You know, oh, it's, you know, I don't have control of it. I can't secure it. And it's probably one of the biggest benefits you can get from it. Um, I'd say a lot of people think that it's going to be harder to operate as well. And like, if you do it appropriately, it really shouldn't be. It's, it's something where, you know, I'll dive a little bit technically, but, you know, you start thinking about some of the things you need for compliance requirements. You need really strong identity control. You need to have logging and monitoring there. So the servers, you know that they're running and you know that they're performant. Building all that on-premise is really, really hard. And coming to, you know, AWS, you get that basically out of the box. And so I think people really just look at a one-to-one. -one and so they say like, well, the servers cost me this much. Cloud is going to cost me this much, so it, it doesn't make sense. And they, they look at it in that way. And I think just changing the mindset to say, okay, operationally, to run it 
in its entirety, how much is it going to cost at that level of quality? And it just changes the ballgame. Now, Manish, how do you sort of change that conversation or, or that perspective? And do you agree with what Chris said here? Absolutely. Uh, take, take, for example, I'll, I'll give you a, um, a layman term, right? This is okay. something that I can understand. So, so um, if we, we are basically all talking about uh, we, uh, the uh, freight alley, right? We, yeah. let's, let's talk about transportation. So, uh, basic mode of moving around, right? Basically, if, if you take cars, has been around for a while, right? You could buy a car, you could lease a car, you could rent a car, right? So, so those are not basically fundamental new concepts that you have, right? But think about basically some people like to buy basically cars every three years, so they lease, right? You go on a vacation, you rent a car. Now you turn that around on its head, right? And say, look, I, I want a regular car to go to my office Monday through Friday, okay? I want to impress my friends when I go out to drink beer with them on Friday evening. And what if I could basically uh, get a Corvette to drive to that beer thingy, right? Okay, I, I'm sober again Saturday morning. Now I have to drive my daughter to her soccer game and her friends as well. So I need a van, okay? And then Sunday, I want to basically go and hike, right? And I want to basically have a bike rack on my car. So maybe either is it a truck or, or something else, right? I, I may want these four cars. It's very difficult for, for us to have these four cars, but that's what cloud enables, right? So basically, if you had basically an endless supply of whatever you could choose, okay? You, you, you have, hey, I, I just rent this car mm -hmm. from, or, or, or lease this car from Monday to Friday, right? It's not lease in long term, right? Then I have another one which is available for these four hours. Then I have the next one that's available, right? So cloud provides you the ability, right, to access compute capacity, whichever variety that you want, at whatever scale you want, at a click of a button. That makes total sense to me. So that begs a question then. Uh, integrating those. So if I have all those abilities in there to go out on a Friday night with my Corvette and use the, you know, the, the practical car on Saturday and the, and the hiking on Sunday, et cetera. And now I want to convert that to the cloud to be able to scale up and kill down, but I have these, how do I integrate those? Is, is that possible to do? Yeah, it really depends. It's, it's, I think this is where partners really play a part too, is it's every business is in a different place in their journey. And so you really need to assess where you're at, what goals you're trying to accomplish in the short term and then in the long term and build a strategy around that. It's, it's not as straightforward as that, but I'd say it's, you know, assess what your immediate goals are and make sure there's an ROI and, and build a plan around it. Now, as I know from being at a startup, right, the, the less red tape you have, the faster velocity you can move at, you can just do things and try them and fall on your face or run fast. And it's, it's beautiful and it's great. But one of the myths that I heard about the cloud is kind of similar. It's like, if we bring this on, does this lock us into an ecosystem or does it make it harder to sandbox and test things? And are, are, we, are we trapped within this walled garden now? Is that true or does it actually enable that velocity and allow people to be much more experimental? Actually, uh, I think it's the exact opposite. I think that what cloud gives you is the flexibility, right, of, of doing this transaction. You want to test something out, okay? Um, you don't know how it's going to work. There's no point basically making an investment upfront for and waiting for months to basically get your gear in place to be, to be able to test it out. You can go to the cloud, basically use it for 
four hours, eight hours, 24 hours, right? Whatever it is, or two days. And if the experiment works, great, right? You continue and move it to production. It doesn't work. You figure out where you went wrong, you tweak, go back, and all you've spent is probably a few dollars, right? On that capacity, not invested in, in having a server sitting somewhere behind, right? That, that, that you can't do something with. So it, it's exactly the opposite thing. It's the speed of innovation that cloud enables. That's a very, very strong reason why a lot of our customers adopt it. So how, how does uh, adopting this and moving this forward uh, within your business differentiate you from other providers of logistic services? Yeah, I think it's not that it differentiates it on its own. It's that it allows you to have the velocity to differentiate. You know, it's, if you need to experiment with something, you know, the decision to do that experiment, the cost to do that experiment and understand the market a little bit better is so much lower. You know, it's, it's like Manish said, so I can spend a few dollars to test out this idea, spin something up and close it down, or I can buy an entire data center and, and test it that way, right? One of those is just a much more expensive test. And you know, if anyone who's done a lot of business, the more experiments you're doing, the more data you're generating, as long as you're paying attention to that, it allows you to iterate and, and really differentiate. Now, one of the examples before we went on air you were telling us about was a load board. You're able to stand up within two weeks, a custom load board. Can you tell the audience a little bit about that case study and how that all worked? That was really exciting. We're actually getting ready for a FreightWaves event. So that was actually the time constraint as we wanted to build a demo for a FreightWaves event. I think it was F3, I oh. believe, actually. And so we'd been working... Had extra time to get that one done. <laughs> <laughs> but it'll happen this November, we promise. <laughs> So we were working with a, a customer who had a lot of ideas about things that they wanted to do. And they said, you know, we've, we've been trying to do this. We've been trying to get someone to do this. And we just haven't been able to do it to get it to where it's web scale. It can be accessible anywhere. And it's going to integrate with our actual data, our TMS data that we have now. You know, we want to test out this idea. We want to see what would happen if we have our own load board and we start attaching it in our emails and, you know, really driving some traffic to it as opposed to some of these other products. And so we said, well, great. You know, we also want to build a demo. Right? What if we can build it extremely fast for you? Will you just work with us on it? And we'll, we'll do all of the technical work, but we need to interview you. You need to work really quickly. They said, oh, yeah, that's great. Now, I don't know if they believed that it was going to be possible or not, but we you know, got a couple engineers on it. We have all our patterns already pre-built for all the cloud infrastructure. We didn't have to order any servers or anything. We just started spinning it up. And yeah, within two weeks, we had done all the product discovery, talked with them, iterated it a couple of versions to make sure it was doing what they did, and then had it out there on the web that was accessible and was able to deliver value, was integrated into the TMS application, so it had all their loads and everything automatically. No one was having to maintain it. It was it was pretty awesome. It was a fun time. Yeah, that's. I mean, we talked about all these capabilities and the things that you can do and how how it increases that velocity, right? Manish, what about uh, the security? We talked about uh, not having to have those servers on premise, right? But talk to uh, about security of that system and then redundancy and how important that is. So, so I think that that is something um, I think Chris alluded to, right? Is uh, as a cloud provider, that's the core of what we do, right? right. It's basically we, we, we have to make sure the system is secure so that our customers don't have to worry about it. I, actually, some of the conversations we're having is exact opposite. People are now talking about moving to the cloud because they know it is more secure mm. because of the, in, the, uh, the investment and the, the technology and the skills that we have put into that, right? That they would be able to do it on their own. So I think security becomes absolutely uh, very important uh, from, from that perspective. And, and the same thing on scale, right? If, if you're doing that at scale, it basically 
you don't have to worry about what I, I need to provision, right? Am I going to be short in terms of what my capacity is to hit my peak volume? You don't really have to guess that or, or basically plan for that, right? Cloud will let you scale automatically from the side. Right? So I think on both those fronts, whether it's security or scalability, right? Um, if you architect your products right, I think that is something that you can actually get from, from the cloud as a basic fundamental capability. Now, I think when people hear AWS, you don't immediately jump to the logical conclusion that it supports the back end of logistics. But when you think about it, it's pretty obvious that it does. It was built to support the back end of the longest, the largest e-commerce company in the world, Amazon, right here. Um, but to people out there who are unfamiliar of the capabilities of how this can fit into logistics and supply chain beyond just inventory and warehousing, what are some ways that you've been able to enable logistics companies to gain advantage by using the cloud? Oh, they, there are so many different use cases, right? And you can go entire spectrum all the way from basically a driver usability, right? You can have apps that are built which are giving drivers real-time information that they need. Uh, you can have systems for fleet owners, right? You have sensors that are embedded in, in, in those vehicles that can actually give you the exact location of where basically a particular uh, unit is, right? And more than that, you can have data that's coming from your onboard systems and they, they can tell you basically um, if something uh, is about to break down, right? You have artificial intelligence and machine learning based uh, technologies, right? Which can predict uh, when something can fail so that you can take preventive action beforehand. You have image recognition based stuff from, from a security perspective, right? You have for, for port operations, what is coming in, what's going down. You, you can have automated location of inventory as to where a particular thing is so you don't have to worry about that. Uh, you have for operations, a lot of digitization that can happen. A, a lot of stuff is written down because uh, you're in Russia and, and you don't have time to enter into a computer because you don't have a computer there, right? You can actually take those and, and using, again, uh, basically uh, artificial intelligence-based things, you can scan those things and, and actually have that information available in the digital format, not just in the physical format, right? Uh, you have location services. Basically, if you're driving in a particular area, can you give the best uh, direction to your drivers because of congestion or this and that, right? So, uh, and, and obviously their backend processes, ERP system, faster closing. So whether you take start from driver experience to the front end to actually process it at the, at the back end, right? You have number of use cases that logistics companies actually can leverage from the cloud. That makes sense, because like, if you think about it, AWS is an information supply chain. A very interesting way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, yeah definitely, it definitely is. Have you seen over the last the last couple of years, right? You talk about how diversity within a company actually speeds up uh, in, uh, invention and moves things forward technology. Have you seen that really speed up and, and people grabbing onto this new technology to prevent the next disruptions? It's, uh, uh, I, think, I think the pandemic actually has really changed the thinking about a cloud adoption, right? Because I, I'm having a hard time thinking about that if something like this unfortunately had happened a few years ago, right? Would we have come out similar to what we did right now? Because a lot of building blocks were in place that people could, uh, 
quickly switch that. It's not just about cloud, right? Mm. Uh, basically, it's about the, the network, the internet connectivity, and so on and so forth, right? And I think uh, when people had to go through and basically adopt new ways of working, which cloud enabled, I think there's been a fundamental shift. I think we have accelerated it by at least a few years, the adoption of some of these technologies than we would have otherwise been. Makes a lot of sense. Make, makes a lot of sense. So let's get into a story here, though. We've been talking about a lot of different sort of examples and, and usages, but can you tell us the story of where supply chain logistics competency came from? So uh, this goes back to our flywheel, right? Basically, we want to give our customers a choice and, um, and, 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 and make it easy for them to find the solutions that best fit their needs. So uh, from in, in, the, in, the, in the AWS uh, world, um, competency is a way for us to help our customers discover the solutions that they need faster, right? So we do the hard work of actually finding and, and validating and going through the solutions that meet the high bar that we expect from our partner system and, and, and then make it available. So supply chain competency comes from the same, same part, right? That, you know what, uh, these are the, the use cases people have, whether it basically is for planning or, or moving or sourcing or, or enabling some other thing that we talked about, and who are the partners who have actually demonstrated that they, they have solved those problems for our customers leveraging AWS technology, right? So we went through that, and, and then we basically launched that a uh, couple of weeks ago um, with, with, with 10 partners. Uh, Status Grid is one of the launch partners around that. So we, we're very happy to be uh, collaborating with them. And, and, and this is something that uh, I'm sure other companies would want to move, right? So the, the flywheel comes into play that as uh, more customers uh, look at these and use those, more, more partners would want to participate in that. Yeah, and we're, we're here in, in Freight LA, obviously, mm -hmm. in Chattanooga. <laughs> Let's talk about AWS in, in Tennessee and yeah. what you guys are doing in the state. Amazon actually um, has a big commitment to the state of Tennessee, right? Over the last 10 years, uh, we have invested over 13 billion in the economy um, in, in Tennessee. Uh, Hold on a second. A little, little cowbell for 13 billion, a little round of applause for 13 billion into Tennessee's economy. At 25,000 direct jobs, uh, almost 39,000 indirect jobs. Nice. Uh, uh, and, and, and we have like different types. Like, uh, Amazon Prime has major operations here. Uh, we announced a big office complex in, in, in Nashville for 5,000 people. We have uh, 10 fulfillment centers in, in different parts of the state from Memphis to Nashville to Murfreesboro and right here in Chattanooga. On the road, there's one. You know, it, it, there's never been a more exciting time if you're into tech, you're into change, and you're into innovation and transformation right here in Tennessee. For example, just a couple days ago, Michael Vince and I went to the largest charger manufacturer in Tennessee up in Lebanon. They just opened this gigantic factory to electrify trucking and help with that input. Tennessee government pouring a ton of money into this. Right here in Chattanooga, they're doing a pilot program to test usage on how people are going to use chargers. EPB, they just moved our gigs to 25 gigabyte internet right here. It's amazing. How does AWS view Tennessee? Like you said, you put that 13 billion, but compared to maybe other states, where does that stand? No, uh, uh, basically there's a very interesting, right? The reason we're having this conversation today is about logistics. Uh, uh, you're a very important hub, right? Uh, you can actually go to pretty much the entire Eastern seaboard 
within a one day drive of here, right? So, mm -hmm. so it, it forms a very uh, important part of, of enabling the technology, uh, not just technology, basically the, 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 uh, the, the supply chain on, right? So, so that is an area of my expertise. So when I look at it, if we can enable the people who are providing those services, serve this customer better by leveraging cloud, that's a big service, not only to Tennessee, but also the, the states that are neighboring um, Tennessee. See, you, you know why he's so smart? Because he's a, he's a Terp. That is exactly he's Maryland. Over here. Yeah, he's a Maryland Chris, Terp. Chris, how about you? <laughs> why, why Stratus Grid here? Why, why Chattanooga? Why Tennessee? You could do this. These days, you could do this anywhere. Especially with the cloud, you can do it globally anywhere, right? Why here? Yeah, I think Chattanooga is really an up-and-coming city um, as far as technology. It's something that I'm actually a transplant. A lot of the people that are here in HQ are transplants. Um, what, what brought me here was one a few things. One, fastest internet in the world. You know, people are really surprised when they hear that. Yeah. You know, it's almost like a fun drinking game to be like, hey, where do you think the fastest internet is? And no, I, I don't think I ever hear anyone say Chattanooga unless they just already know it. You know, like yeah. you would never think that, that that would be here. And that kind of investment and innovation is really exciting to me. And then the other thing is just the community. You know, we came down and visited and seeing the community, seeing how vibrant the tech community was, how active the meetups and everything here were compared to other places. Like, wow, this seems like a place that a lot of innovation could flow from. And so we really wanted to be a part of that. Good mix of ages too. Like I'm a transplant as well. I came from the Boston area working in freight. Much older scene out there, especially when I was working on the operations side. And I was really surprised to come into Chattanooga and see so many, like when I started at FedEx Trade Networks, I was 26 and I was the youngest person there by a decade. Youngest person there by a decade. And then you come out here and it's like, you're seeing 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds and, and, and very vibrant building these very strong careers in this thriving ecosystem right here in Freight Alley. It's cool to see. How many of them need to get on the cloud though? Yeah, mo most people that we run into are still are still working on that, um, which is great. That's great for us. It's great for AWS. And I, I think it's a huge opportunity for them to really differentiate and, and get there. And, you know, like Manish said, it's still early. You know, it's not like we're to the point where people are falling behind the curve. It really is the point where you can still be part of, you know, the beginning of getting up there and getting the advantages of being there. Yes, yeah, so we covered it, Tennessee and why Tennessee for both of you guys. So why the partnership here, Manish? We believe in uh, enabling uh, our, our basically partners who bring the capability, right? So um, Chris and I were talking earlier, and and um, they are a, a truly cloud-native company, right? Mm -hmm. And and I think they saw the potential, and I'm Chris probably speaking on your behalf, but but when we see the passion that partners like Status Grid have, we want to do whatever we can to make them successful, right? So, um, why, why, Chris, why did you choose uh, AWS <laughs> start with? Yeah, I mean, I'm an engineer at heart, right? So it was a really easy decision because I tested out all the options and just decided that I like that one the best. Um, but the more that we've worked with it, I think as a partner, it's been amazing to work with AWS. They are so much more customer focused than any other partnerships that I've ever seen, right? The conversation really is how can we bring value to this customer? And I've seen them work through situations that would have been difficult with mm -hmm. other companies and do a fantastic job of making sure that the, the customer came out ahead. And that really is at the forefront of the decisions. And that's really valuable to us. That aligns well with our beliefs. We want to deliver value. And I think that AWS is the best platform to be doing that with. They've got proven success and they've got a background to be able to prove that, right? Or to be able to support that. Culture and attitude. Yeah. You know, it, it's where's your priorities, right? Yeah. And I think that their priorities and where they really focus is in the right place.
Yeah. Well, speaking of attitude, I, I've seen some bad attitudes online, especially towards tech. And they've said, well, with all this tech, how come there was still this great supply chain disruption that happened? Why mm. isn't tech a panacea that's cured all? What's the counterpoint to that? What I would ask them is, if the tech was not there, okay, what would have been the outcome, right? Uh, would we be, be better off or would we have been far, far worse? Right? So I think... Um, I know it's easy to say that we, we haven't uh, achieved the, the potential that's there. And it's very true. I think we're very early in the cloud journey right now. But I think what it has enabled, uh, basically, I, we, have, we have to look at that. And what's the potential for us to do that? I, th I think there's a lot of work ahead. And and, and I absolutely agree. Uh, basically, we all should get together and, and try to uh, improve on, on, on basically what we can, not just from a supply chain perspective, but more broad digital transformation that we can do, right? That we can enable by taking away things that don't add value to what we have to deliver to our customers, right? And and, and spend more time doing things that uh, directly impact our customers, right? And I think that that's, that's the, uh, the, the potential for cloud. Yeah, I mean, tech didn't cause the congestion. Tech didn't cause the traffic mm -hmm. jam. Tech didn't cause the pandemic, if anything, a lack of tech didn't help mobilize a lot of units that could have been mobilized during a situation like that. I'll give you an example, actually. So um, this is uh, this is this this is basically a, a few months ago, right? I think some of you would have heard about uh, this blockage in Suez Canal. Right? <laughs> we had yeah. a ship that got stuck, right? And and once that happened, basically you could not go this way or the other. And and there's a lot of uh, trade that happens that that comes over basically containers that are coming over the ship. And, and, and you basically uh, couldn't do anything. We had one of our customers actually who looked at what basically they very quickly, right, they, they, they got a team in place and, and they, they got the data of what were the shipments they were going to make over the next couple of weeks that had already not basically left, mm -hmm. but were destined for the same one, right? And they were able to very quickly identify and reconfigure the route for those so that they were not stuck behind that and, 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 and basically the backup became worse and worse, right? They routed them through a different, basically, channel. So, so that's the power of cloud, right? If you can get the right data at the right time and act on it very quickly, you can actually basically make a difference. Yeah, and you scale that out to what Chris was talking about uh, 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 earlier. When you have that adoption, it enables other things to happen, right? So by making those decisions, you're out in front of it, and you're talking to your customers and already have a solution before your customers even know there was a problem, right? When you bring that out to the congestion on the East Coast now that is occurring because of shipments being moved from the West Coast to the East and vice versa, and those challenges inland after that. Can you speak to that a little bit, Chris? I can't speak too much to the business side of that because I haven't had to solve that problem, but I do think about just, just what you were talking about makes me think about the technical side of it. Uh -huh. And, you know, getting that data there and what you could predict, you know, if, if you have the right metrics and you're measuring the right things in the right places and you have that data flowing in in near real time, the amount of training that you can do on models to then be predictive about what's going to happen and mm -hmm. let you know what decisions you need to be making I think that there really is an opportunity there. And I, I think, you know, what you were saying earlier about, you know, maybe we just don't have enough tech and it would have helped even more. Yeah. I think that's a real possibility that we could have been a much more predictive about it if we had wide, more widespread technology adoption, better data, 
sharing of data among companies, if that can, could ever get there to and then that's frame a brilliant models. Point, yeah. That's what I was thinking. Understanding how other people are going to react and the markets and other modes are going to react is very, very important. Well, right? well, that's what I want to know about too, is these, these partnerships, right? Whenever data comes up, there's got to be sharing, right? There's got to be mutual agreements between partners to really enable this stuff and have this velocity going. How much do partnerships enable and how much do they stand in the way of some of this progress, Manish? Let me touch upon that. And I also want to go back uh, to the previous question, right? So uh, during this pandemic, uh, a lot of companies are talking about supply chain resilience, right? Mm -hmm. How do I become more resilient? How do I minimize the impact uh, of my commitments to my customers irrespective of what I have to face, right? And there are three fundamental things that you need to basically become more resilient, okay? The first one really is that Chris touched upon that you need almost a near real-time visibility into every segment of your supply chain, okay? And not just you need that basically uh, visibility, but you need to be able to analyze what impact one basically deviation in a particular part of your supply chain is going to have on the other parts of supply chain, right? right? right. So, so that, that is a very important part, and I think that's, that's where technology can enable that. The second part of that really is you need to have playbooks in place, right? That basically, you, you, you can't just react to it in real time, right? You, you have to go through the scenario planning that if something like this happened, what are my alternatives, right? Is it like basically a different route for shipping? Do I need to get my raw material from a different place? Do I basically build something different which uses a different thing so I change my bomb? Do I have flexibility to basically tweak my commitments to my customers, right? So, so the, what, what are all the levers that you can pull? And then you should be able to make those decisions really, really quickly and communicate to basically the entire set of stakeholders within your organization and outside your organization, right? So I think it's, it's basically getting the data from the different parts of supply chain, whether it's happening within your organization or outside, making those decisions in collaboration with them, and then communicating and acting on those decisions up and down the supply chain, right? So you need basically the entire network to actually work to solve these. Otherwise, these, this is not a very easy problem to solve, right? So I think right. to your point, that you need the, the the network to basically work with you. Right, because you can see those ripples uh, potentially uh, growing from the pandemic, right, at this particular moment in time, right? You saw companies with too much inventory, right? And they started scaling back on their orders. Now you're seeing those, those uh, those feeder markets in the United States along those ports and the imports and the bookings start to come down. But as those inventories start to diminish, through sales and pushing those as we're watching those move right now out of those distribution areas throughout the United States, you can see the data that they're moving there. Are we getting ourselves set up for another situation where we don't have enough inventory if there isn't this recession that happens? Actually, to a certain extent, you don't need to know the answer to that question, okay? okay. You don't need to predict that. I think basically, if you follow what you were talking about, right? Okay. These changes in the inventory don't happen overnight, right? Right. They're happening from day to day, week to week. Right. You should be able to see from the data coming every day a mm -hmm. trend emerge, right? Yeah. And and I think I think you don't have to wait for something to become that dramatic. If you're seeing a trend, right? You you're predicting a deviation. You should be able to then go and start making changes now. 
Okay. If you if you're getting that data and you're utilizing that data to see those changes, you can get in front of that exactly. situation, right? That's what you're saying. Yep. Yeah, that that visibility and that transparency and that absorption of that data. Exactly, and and it's this the speed at which you detect that something different is happening than what mm -hmm. I was anticipating, right? Mm -hmm. So whether the recession is going to happen six months from now or there's going to be disruption going to happen six months from now, you can't predict that, right? I can tell you right now, if one thing we have known from this side. Right? Something is going to, some disruption is going to happen. Oh, yeah. So you have to be ready. What it is, you don't know, right? But you should be ready to react to that fairly quick. No, I hear what you're saying. And look, we saw this during this year, right? So many people going off lagging data. Like mm -hmm. there's a focus on predictability, but really what you need is visibility because there's so many people going off data that's like three months old. Right. They're working in lagging time. They're working in slow motion and they're making these decisions a lot of times when it's already too late, when you see some of this inventory glut, and granted, look, there's a big pandemic. There's not that much you could do about some of that, but there's also a lot you could be doing, and a lot of companies aren't doing enough. Yeah, and actually, there's some technology companies that I've read up on where they did have the data, and they were acting early enough, and so while all their peers have had these huge disruptions, yeah. this has been an opportunity, and they've grown their market share. So it really is one of those differentiators that if you can get there, it allows you to capture market share in events like this. Look, this, this impacts people. Yeah. Look, look at some of the firings that are going on. Sure. Some of these, some big retailers doing massive cuts out there because they have too much inventory. The sales are too low. They've got too high of an overhead. All these people during the great resignation, they left their jobs. They go jump over. They think they're going to have this amazing job. Eight months later, the economy turns and they're back out in the cold. They're back on the cold. I mean, this is this is important. That's what makes me passionate about putting these kind of right. messages out there. What makes you passionate about this, Chris? Partly, I think it's a lot of fun, yeah. <laughs> but partly it's just, I really like to solve problems. And this has probably been the most effective trend in solving problems in businesses that I've seen. You know, it really is, it's like when industrialization happened and it solved problems and allowed people to take things to entirely new heights and drove civilization, the way that technology is being integrated into our lives and what we're able to do is that next wave. And it's just going to change everything. And I, I like being a part of that. You agree with that? You've been working on this for a long time. Is that yeah. is that what drives you? No, no, absolutely. And and I think you you can talk about big things that happen, right? But I think it's the accumulation of a lot of small things that really makes a difference. And I'll I'll give you some examples, right? So we were talking about visibility. Uh, a lot of, there's a lot of talk about basically having uh, trying to get visibility on where is my stuff. If my truck is going to be late, right? Uh, if I can inform the warehouse that it's going to be laid by 30 minutes or 60 minutes or four hours, right? They can actually better schedule the crew which was supposed to unload that, right? And, mm -hmm. and, and read out it, right? Mm -hmm. so, 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 so that improves the working condition for that, right? So basically, you're, on one hand, you're not wasting time and then you're basically not overworking because now you're running late, right? So, so basically, it, it's, it's those simple things that, that you can have. I'll, I'll give you another example. Like, for example, we, we, we talked about uh, having sensors in, uh, in, in trucks, right? Yeah. And, and uh, right, right now, we're in a supply-constrained environment, basically from a, from a transportation capacity perspective. So every percentage of availability that you can increase, right? gives you more out of your existing assets. So if you can basically predict that, you know what, uh, there's a problem that's going to happen in this particular truck, and if you can do preventive maintenance to save those three hours, four hours that it is, that's the capacity that you created, right, 
out of nothing by, by making no investment, right? This is something that you have. So, so what really basically drives me is that technology has the power to improve our, our, our lives of, of people who are using it. It basically is, is able to give better customer experience, right? And you don't really have to spend a lot of money doing that. I think you, you, you're able to leverage what you have by just being smarter about using the information that you already have. What, what I find interesting is, uh, is all of that and the passion. I, I feel you, Dooner. That is, that's, that's tremendous. And I feel the same thing. What I find really, really interesting is, is, is those seemingly disparate data points or verticals that actually integrate with each other and can predict and, and, and affect each other. Right? I always say that the different modes and different markets, you need to be looking out for those different things. But then it, it's also geopolitical, right? I mean, can you bring that into the cloud, some of those geopolitical things and those trends and learn as to what those uh, actions are going to be or where there's possible disruptions? Goes back to the sensing, right? So basically a lot of this data is out there. So, so if, if you have visibility in basically what your tier two, tier three, or tier four supplier is in a particular area, and you know a particular geopolitical event has happened in the geography, right? If you can figure out very quickly what the blast radius is, okay, in terms of basically which basic my uh, raw materials or components are going to right. get impacted, then you can actually take an action, right, on that. Now, it doesn't do you good of looking for an alternate supplier, right? So basically something happened, let's say, uh, basically there was shutdown in Southeast Asia, and you say, you know what, I have an alternate supplier in, 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 in the Caribbean, right, that I can get it from, but you are two days late in terms of thinking about it. The, the spare capacity that the supplier had is already taken up by a competitor, right? So the speed of getting that information and acting, acting upon it is really, really important. Oil flow over the last year, right? The disruption there, changing it from Russia to the east and Russia to other places and then moving and backfilling those. Perfect example. Yeah, and I think I'd, I'd almost want to drive this back to a company though and bring it back to something we talked about earlier. I think what you're talking about is like a level of maturity that you've reached because you already have access to a lot of the data that you Sure, need. sure. I think when you talked about mistakes that companies make, yeah. Just having access to all the data and all the areas in your business is really the place to start. And like, I, that's where I see a lot of companies failing to even have that so far. Right. So that's sure. what I've, you know. Sure. Yeah. I, yeah, they're not even to that maturity level yet. It's like, yeah. I, yep, go ahead. Well, well, I was just going to say to Manish, I, I, to me, the cloud is obvious, right? I mean, the, the, the advantage of the cloud is, is pretty obvious. Like, you know, you have to be there to be a global partner, to even be a statewide partner, you have to get into the cloud eventually. But here's your chance to pitch. Why AWS? Why should the listeners care about AWS? Why should they go with AWS? Why should anyone here consider AWS? I think what, what AWS brings is, is basically brings you the, the agility to move really fast, right? It gives you the, the, the tools to innovate and bring new products together. Uh, it gives you the ability to scale your operations at the speed at which your business is expanding. It takes away a lot of heavy work that you have to do, right? The heavy lifting that you do from a technology perspective because you already have basically the, the standards built, whether it's around the compute, around storage, around networking, around security. Those things have already been done for you so that you can actually focus on the business that you are running, right? Yeah. What is the, the core product that you are building 
which the cloud technology basically can enable quickly, right? So, so we, we do the heavy lifting so you can focus on bringing the differentiation to your customers. Chris, how about yourself? Where does, where does Stratus Grid fit into all this equation? So I'm actually going to double plug AWS first. Okay. I, I think there's something that working with the technology, it becomes apparent. Um, it's almost like when you work with something, you can see what it was really made for and what it was designed for and what drove the decisions when it was created. And I think you get that when you're working with AWS, you can see, wow, this was really made for supply chain and logistics because it was made for Amazon originally. And that drove so many design decisions and the way that the technology was set up, the way that solutions are made for it, it aligns really, really well with the way that you need to think about data and events and taking actions in real time in a logistics environment or supply chain environment because it was made for that, like, it, and it's apparent. Um, as far as Stratus Grid, I think we have a unique combination of extremely high quality engineering in cloud that is, you know, being an early adopter has allowed us to be there where a lot aren't. And we have a unique understanding of logistics, the needs there, the market there, that really doesn't, I haven't seen a lot of combinations of those two things. And so I think it allows someone who wants to differentiate with technology, who wants to use these new patterns and technologies and capabilities to work with someone who actually also understands a lot of their business, a lot of their problems that they're going to run into, how to architect things appropriately for their use case. And that's why I would work with us. Wow. Well, Manish, we have a couple of minutes left. Leave us with something excited. Whet our appetites here. What's coming out of AWS and logistics space that we should all be excited about, that we should keep our eyes on? No, I think uh, what, what, what uh, we have in front of us is basically this tremendous opportunity to innovate, right? I think uh, supply chains have, for the good or for the bad, uh, basically uh, uh, come to the forefront, right? So, so can we basically give a better customer experience, right? Can we have a supply chain which is customer-centric, which is resilient, right? Uh, which is using the power of new capabilities like automation and AI to, to really bring that next level of uh, both front and back office capabilities for the companies who are involved in making stuff and moving stuff, as well as, as the customers who are consuming those uh, basically goods and services from them. Oh, well, how about you, Chris, with Stratus Grid? What is going to be coming? Exciting. I know one thing that's exciting is your team has grown over 60 so far. I know that, but what else out there? Yeah, I'd say that you're going to see us utilizing our new supply chain and logistics competency that we can finally talk about. There was a ton of work that went into working on becoming a launch partner for that and making sure that we met the prerequisites and that we had everything lined up. And so we've spent a lot of time investing and being ready for extending our reach into the logistics market even further and building out solutions and really thinking about um, how to solve those problems. So I'd say just seeing us take all that preparation that has just dropped and, and really extend it out to the... And door. if they want to solve those problems, they like what they heard, they want to continue the conversation with you, where do they go? Yeah, go to our website, stratusgrid.com. Uh, reach out there. Reach out to sales at stratusgrid.com. Uh, nice. We'd love to hear from you guys. And if you're here in person, just walk up to him when he comes off stage. Yeah. Manish, how about Pretty yourself? Easy. AWS, how do they get in touch? How do they bring on your service? And how do they kick ass? So uh, actually, uh, uh, aws.amazon.com, uh, right? We, we have... Uh, all our offerings out there, the, the, the different solutions from a supply chain perspective. Uh, please do reach out. Uh, really happy to uh, engage with you along with our partners and see how we can help solve the problem that you're having in your supply chain space. Now, everyone in attendance, there's a fishbowl up front. If you haven't dropped your ticket in there, you can win a 
a MetaQuest 2, hang out with Mark Zuckerberg with his weird selfie face. Uh, there's some Chattanooga whiskey <laughs> over there. And up here, we got What the Truck shirts, What the Truck hats. Take them with you on the way out. Take a couple for your friends at your office. You can find me at Timothy Dooner on the Twitter. You can find him at Michael Vincent, the dude. What the Truck airs usually when it's not after dark, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, live on FreightWaves TV, FreightWaves YouTube, on demand, wherever you listen to podcasts and video as well. Guys, thank you so much for your time today. Great being here. Thank you. Thank oh, you. Thank you to your team, too. Shout out to the FreightWaves TV everybody. team. Woo! Everyone who came out for this show tonight. Should we do more of these? Should we do more? I think we should. I think we should do more of these. Absolutely. Oh, that's a hell yeah. You guys can yeah, hear that one. Take it yeah, easy, yeah, everybody. Yeah, yeah, Thanks for coming out. Question oh, yeah, and answers once this cuts out.